from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. It's a great day to be alive. Great day to be alive. And it is great to have you here with us on the Badass Counseling Show. I am the master pain in the ass, Sven. And I am joined in studio by two very, very nice people. Two of my very favorite people in the whole world. I've got KC over in the booth, and I've got Rob the Rocket sitting next to me. Rob Rocket, how are you today, young man? I'm okay. We've had some uh, challenging episodes <laughs> in our show lately, but you know what they say, what does not kill us makes us more resentful. <laughs> I, I am bitter of technology today. We, we just finished taping two episodes, and if it wasn't one thing, it was the next, and it was one of those days when, boy, you know, the old whatever can go wrong will go wrong sort of thing, but we're here with you now, and we had originally planned to start taping at 8.30. I apologize to those of you that were expecting me earlier, and I ended up showing up late. That is not like me, but I blame technology and mostly my own stupidity. We open it up here with the very first thing coming across my feed here. I am live over here on Facebook. I am live in front of me on TikTok, and I'm live at the pie in the sky up there on YouTube. Very first thing coming out from Healing Grace here on TikTok. Healing Grace says, would love to see Rob's face sometime. Well, I think now's the time. And Healing Grace then says, I've never seen Rob or Casey. Okay, sometimes when we tape, Casey shows up in the studio, actually comes from the booth. We taped an episode of the show um, a couple episodes earlier today, and uh, you can actually see them both if you go over to YouTube. We post, we are now posting all episodes of the podcast on YouTube, and so it's with video and it's uncut. So you'll see the bloopers, you'll see us running around, you know, half naked. Well, not the half naked part, but chicken with our head cut off, sort of thing. And so you can see both Rob and KC over on YouTube at Badass Counseling and the episodes that we uh, taped earlier this evening may already be up. I know it takes a while for them to load because they're each an hour long. So let's go ahead. Let's get started with the questions. What have you got for me, fine humans? How do you flip the script from negative talk to myself? You don't quote unquote flip the script. I know what you're trying to say and I know what you mean. How do you get rid of that shit? The negative self-talk. Negative self-talk is caused by the fact that you have voices inside of you. And I don't mean like schizophrenia, that sort of thing. I know nothing about schizophrenia. What I do know though, is that you had messages embedded in you when you were growing up that very possibly when it was happening and even now you may not be fully cognizant of. Messages that you were taught about your worth, and it's often those messages don't get conveyed to us explicitly, but implicitly. For instance, a very dear friend of mine uh, was raising her twin sons, um, and she was a single mom raising her twin sons, and she recalls that one of her twin sons, because he had health problems, often had to stay home for the day, and grandma would come over and watch the child when she drove the other twin to school. And they would frequently get caught in traffic with twin number two and, you know, just getting to and from school. And it was about, you know, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And mom was very stressed out of time and, and working and so on and so forth. And she would frequently turn to twin number two when driving twin number two to school and say, I need you to just stop talking right now, sweetheart. I need you to just stop talking. Mommy's stressed out right now. And twin two, now in adulthood, recalls that twins that twin's experience 
in those situations recalls it as mom used to tell me to be quiet. And after she said it enough times, I just stopped talking. And so twin two grew up a very quiet child. Mom never said your voice isn't important. Mom never said, I don't want to hear what you say per se, as in permanently. Mom thought she was just saying, hey, sweetheart, I just, I'm in traffic. But the twin got the message. My voice isn't important such that even now in young adulthood, twin two is struggling with feeling like my voice actually matters and people want to hear what I have to say. So in other words, what I'm getting at is very often the negative self-talk that happens inside of us occurs because of implicit messages that got pressed into the wet cement of our soul when we were a child. And so the task of unearthing, of flipping the script on our negative self-talk requires going into my past and beginning to identify those messages. Well, how the fuck do I identify a message if I don't even know it's there? If I didn't even know when it happened, how do I do that? And the short answer is, honestly, that's why I wrote the book. It's just to step you through that shit. And I know that seems like a shameless fucking plug, but the truth is, that's what I wrote it for. It's 80% of my counseling method. It's right there. And it helps you by doing exactly what I just did right now and talking about twin one and twin two is helping you begin to identify pain points and also what messages were. So for instance, well, dad always, you know, helped me with my math and he'd always get so upset. Well, guess what? If dad's always getting upset when we're doing my math homework, there's going to be a message in there that you received. And so when we dig down by asking the right questions, whether in counseling or again in the book or in your own journaling, you can dig down and discern what is the underlying message that child is receiving. Well, don't piss off dad. Don't anger dad. Or uh, I, I'm dumb. See, dad always gets mad whenever we're doing homework. I must be dumb. And it sounds crazy as an adult that that would be a message, but that's how a child's mind thinks. And the truth is that's how an adult mind thinks. If someone puts you down, it hurts, right? And everything is being filtered, whether as an adult, but especially as a child, everything is being filtered uh, through the lens of, through the question of, I'm good or I'm bad. I have worth, I don't have worth. Everything happening to the child is being filtered through that. Is what just happened an indicator that I matter and I'm good or that I, I stink and I'm stupid and I'm no good? The child is filtering it through that. And we, I have the same thing. We all have the same thing, even as adults, that when someone does something, it may, oh, shit, I must suck. I must be no good. This person's basically saying, I'm an idiot. So we do it as an adult, but a child is infinitely more vulnerable to and infinitely more engaging in that behavior of, is this event that's occurring right now or that just happened an indicator that I'm good or that I'm bad? And that's why they're so susceptible to everything that's going on around them. And so we have to go back in and find out what those messages were that we received and to extract those. That is when we begin to live authentically by getting those counter message out of us that undermine that message that I have worth and I am good. All right, next question. How do I ever start putting myself first? You start putting yourself first by again, going inside and identifying all of that which is causing you to put yourself fifth or 10th or at the very bottom of the list. And part of it is, is that very often if we're putting ourselves last or always putting others first, it's because we were taught. It doesn't even necessarily have to come out of uh, growing up in a bad home. It can grow up in a home where you got the message that the way you get love is by giving. I had two parents who were very, very giving. My father was clergy. My mother worked in uh, churches in education and both were very, very good at what they did and very loving people. But what they modeled for us is give, 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 give. Well, guess what the implicit message is that the child is giving, getting? 
is having modeled for them that to be a loving person and a good person in the world, you give, 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 give. And that works when you're in relationships with other people who are giving back. <laughs> but it's so easy for someone who's doing a lot of giving to find someone who's happy to take and take and take and take. And that model then of give, 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 and that's how I have my worth can become destructive. But not only that, we begin to think if giving is, a, is the way to live, we feel guilty when we ask or we fear that if I ask for what I want, rather than giving, that I, it's okay for me to ask, to receive, to ask, to take for me too. That's okay. But we feel guilty if we do that. So when you ask the question, how do I ever start putting myself first? It begins by going inside and finding those messages that are causing you to put yourself least. Because somewhere in your past, you got messages saying that you don't matter. Or the only way you're lovable is if you give. Or potentially there's a fear inside of you. And this is usually what it is. There's a fear inside of you that if I don't give, you might not love me. You may leave me. If I'm not constantly giving, then all you're left with is who I really am, and I'm not lovable enough the way I am, so you would sure, certainly leave me. All right, next question. I've got one here from YouTube, if you'd like. Uh, yes, go ahead, Rob. Rob has one from YouTube. Here Do you we know go. what this means, quiet BPD? Does that ring a bell? Uh, bipolar disorder. Okay, that's it then. All right, this uh, question is, uh, Hi, my wife of 17 years with quiet BPD recently left me and our kid for a new guy out of the blue. I know I should move on, but I really want to reconcile. Should I go low contact or how do I get her interested again? Okay, just so I'm clear, apart from the BPD, you've got a wife that left you for someone else. So you're married and she left you to go be with someone else. Did I hear that correctly, Rob? Yes, you did, after 17 years. After 17 years. Uh, and would you assume, Rob, from that, that uh, a divorce has not happened yet? I would certainly assume that, yes. Right, and so the person is asking, how do, basically, how do I get her back? That's what he's asking. Yeah. It's a sad tale. Yeah, it is sad, and I'm so sorry for that. I truly, my friend, I am really sorry that this has happened. The immense amount of pain you must be feeling. I did a post literally just today on grieving, and you've got some hardcore motherfucking grieving that you have to be doing in your journaling, in your time alone, in your crying, in your talking with your therapist or your very best friend. You've got so much fucking pain inside of you, feelings of rejection, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of sadness, feelings of rage. And if you're not feeling rage and anger, you're lying to yourself because that's there too. I'm not sure this is uh, relevant, but he, he's also added, have kid together 50-50. Okay, so she's left, but she's not like flown the coop and, you know, on the other side of the country. Okay, so we have the child 50-50. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. You haven't totally had your child stripped from you because that would be hardcore fucked up. And I'd say get in court right now, get your child back. Okay, but nonetheless, she took it and she ran. And if I'm hearing you correctly, you want to know how to get her back. And I'm going to just be really, really honest with you. The odds of you doing anything to get her back are slim to none. And you're basically wondering how, what do I got to do to make the sale, to get her to come back? I'm going to, uh, I'm going to offer that you're asking the wrong question. I know that's what you want. I have been left. All right. I get it. I have been cheated on. I get it. But you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't how do I get her back? The question is what do I need to do in my life for me, because all you really can do is you can grieve this shit. All of you can, all that you can do is get all of your pain I, that's inside of you and all your anger, all of it out of you. 
and let the chips fall where they will. Because part of what you're going to see is the more you heal you, potentially the less you're going to want her. And I know that's not what you want to hear. I know you think, especially after 17 years, that there's no way you wouldn't want her. But deep down, you have someone who was so callous, so cruel, that they fucking walked away from you for someone else without having the decency of ending the relationship first. Now, that's some hardcore cruel shit. And there is immense rage inside of you, I guarantee it, and immense pain. All of that has to come out. But the bottom line is, is the best you can do is heal your own shit. Go into your own shit. Go into all of your own fucking healing and, and or get, all of your pain and flush and flush and flush and flush that out. And then it's let the chips fall where they will because you can't control whether or not she comes back. And the truth is, in, in my honest opinion, you become more attractive the less you want someone. And so it's not pretending to not want someone, is that you actually do the healing work in the expectation that I need to move on with my fucking life. Now, you may not be there yet, buddy. You may not. You may want to hold on. And if that's what you feel you need to do for your soul, then hold on. Because the best way to let go of someone is to hold on as tightly as possible till your grip gets tired, till you're sick of it, till your pain has gotten bad enough. And if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. But at some point, you're going to need to move on for your own sake, not only uh, to start life over, but so that you can begin to become happy again, because what your child needs is you to become happy, you to become your authentic self, you to find your own sense of self. But I want to end my answer by saying, I am so fucking sorry that you have to go through this. I really am. It sucks. It's horrible. It's bullshit that the person didn't end the relationship. Just at least give me the decency of ending the relationship first rather than flying the coop. And then, and then, you know, getting the divorce. But yeah, you gotta, you gotta start, you gotta be avidly getting after, deliberately getting after, flushing out of all your own personal pain over all of this. All right, next question. What advice do you have for a teen who wants their father out of their life but is afraid to lose them? Um, I'm going to play the ball as it lies. So your teen simultaneously wants a child out of your life, out, wants their father out of their life, but not completely, doesn't want to lose them. In all honesty, the best thing to do, I believe, is just tell the truth and stand by your truth. You know, I want you um, out of my life, but I need you to just remain at a distance till I want you back into my life because I don't want to lose you forever. And the teen not allow themselves to get jerked around. But in all honesty, the other thing I'd do if that teen were my client is I would want to, I would push that client, that teen to drill down. What the fuck are you really saying? What do you mean? What aspect of your father do you not want in your life? And what aspect of your father do you not want to lose? If you don't want to lose something, that says that your parent, that father has something that you still want. Otherwise, you wouldn't mind losing them. So I would want to know what precisely is it that, that teen, teen, what is it you don't want to lose? Is it that you're still wanting that parent's approval, that uh, father's approval? And I'm going to push you out now, Dad. I don't want you in my immediate life, but I one day hope to get your approval, your acknowledgement, your acceptance, your attention, your affection, or your apology, whatever it might be. But there's there's something deeper going on there because that's it's kind of a bit of a jumble and there's something deeper going on inside of that teen, and I would want to drill down to what it is. All right, next question. Over on Facebook, how do you find your authentic self when you've always been told you're wrong? Uh, it's a great question, and the metaphor that I use is actually quite simple. 
Um, the work itself, while simple, is not easy. Um, but it also doesn't have to take forever. Okay, so how do I find my authentic self when all I've ever been told is I am wrong? Okay, if, if a child is told and teen is told their whole life and it perpetuates into adulthood and if the family patterns are you're being told as a kid, oh, you're an idiot, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about or you're being criticized whenever you put your own wants, needs, feelings out there, your opinions out there, it's likely gonna perpetuate into adulthood. So if you're in adulthood now and this shit is still going on, it's likely been going on the whole time. And so you're wondering, well, how do I find my real self if I've always been told I'm wrong. What happens inside the child when they're always being told they're wrong is it's an invalidation of their own voice. They learn to not trust their own voice, not even listen to their own voice because the powerful external power sources, mom, dad, maybe older, older siblings, favorite auntie or grandma or whatever are saying, no, don't listen to your voice. You need to do what I say. Which is why this notion of being a dominating parent or always telling your fucking kid what to say doesn't end well because you are not furthering a connection between that child and their own self. We taped an episode of the show this evening um, where a woman was in a um, uh, three-year affair with someone and was feeling horrible about it and she's going into a deeper depression. I asked her the question, what's at the root of your depression? She said, I feel disconnected from myself. Disconnected from myself. And then I asked, well, what do you need to do to become more connected? She said, I need to go inside of me and get out all those fucking voices telling me that myself sucks. But this notion of connection to self, by us telling our children, oh, you should do what I say. Just listen to me. I'm the only person that loves you. You should just only listen to me. And you're teaching the child to disconnect from their own voice. So Barbara, when you come along and you ask, well, how do I find my authentic self when I've always been told I'm wrong? Your authentic self is that voice that you were told to not listen to. So what that means is that there are other voices inside of you, mom, dad, grandparent, whoever the hell raised you, basically. Their voices are inside of you. And maybe the living, breathing voices are still around you saying, no, you shouldn't do that. No, you suck. No, you don't know what you're doing. Do what I say, do what I say, do what I say. In, but even at, at this age, that you can operate on social media, you're putting up a question, you're likely an adult. If you're named Barbara, That's you're probably not young, probably at least 40, 50 years old, right? That's an old school name, right? Like Rob or, you know, but generally, you know, there are errors for names. And so my point is, you've been told you are wrong for a long time. So it could even be that the people that used to tell you you are wrong are dead. And yet those voices live inside of you even stronger sometimes when they are dead. And the bottom line is you've got to go inside and begin to identify where those voices came from, whose voices they really are, and what the real messages were that they taught about yourself, not the least of which is that you're wrong. And the more you get those voices, extract those voices, those messages, and the powerful feelings that go with them, the more your own authentic voice will in, uh, effortlessly rise up from within. Your voice isn't out there somewhere. It's packed down deep inside of you underneath all the shit you've been taught about yourself. This is why going inside and doing that inner work is so fucking important because it's it's a war in there. It's like two, It's like the, the all the voices that have been rammed down your throat are meeting your own voice rising up from the soul and they're grating against each other. And it's like, as you've heard me say before, tectonic plates below the surface of the earth. If you've got one grating against the, uh, the other and that creates earthquakes up on the surface. Um, we're gonna take a break and I'm gonna be right back with a few more of your questions. I am one of the lucky few who've had the privilege not only to read his books, but also to experience Sven face-to-face -face for countless one-on-one -on -one sessions. His intelligence, knowledge, and deep empathy have had a deep impact on me and the people I love. 
And I can say that he is amongst the most important people in my life for the last 10 plus years. I am thankful for you, badass Sven. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round. We episode of the Badass Counseling Show. It's great to have you here. I'm joined in studio by Casey and Rob the Rocket. We are taking listener questions live presently on Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. For those of you who are tuning in uh, live right now, you can check out the Badass Counseling Show podcast on Spotify and Audible, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Music, and all most other podcast sites. And we are always live and our episodes stay up on YouTube with video uncut. So if you want to see how handsome Rob really is or how lovely a person KC is on those rare times she shows up on the video, um, feel free to check us out over on YouTube. It's great to have you here. All right, next question. Do you have any advice on overthinking and loving yourself? So we get back to this notion of loving yourself or authentic self, but overthinking, overthinking is fundamentally driven by fear and pain. We overthink because fundamentally our mind is gaming out scenarios. Well, what could happen? What has happened in the past? And so if I take option one, we game it out to its eventual conclusion to see how much pain it will bring if it ends up being option one. Then we game out in our head option two and how much pain that would bring. And we're gaming everything out to its logical or illogical conclusion to find out how much pain it will be. Or we're overthinking, we're um, we're sort of uh, perseverating thinking incessantly on something that has happened in the past. And overthinking is caused by pain and fear of more pain, past pain and fear of more pain. And so then logically, how do we get past that? Or what do we do? We go inside and we start flushing out the very thing that caused it in the first place, flushing out those negative experiences, flushing out the feelings. And this is what journaling is for. This is the different mechanisms that I recommend in the book, writing letters that you don't send, uh, engaging the Sedona method, which is a book. It's a great one. I didn't write it but it's a powerful tool as well. Uh, the accepting technique, which I talk about in the book uh, by Doreen Banaszak. There's so many different tools, but you have to begin to first identify, which is what my book is for, helping you identify what that is that's going on inside of you so that you can begin to flush it out using those tools. But overthinking is pain and fear of pain. And so you have to be willing to go into this pain. And see, this is why people don't want to go to therapy in the first place. I don't want to go into my fucking pain. I don't want to be overwhelmed. It would hurt too much. You know, I'm just going to distract myself. I'm going to stay busy. I'm going to have some more booze, take some pills, do excessive swiping and scrolling. I'm going to overwork. I'm going to overparent, overexercise. I'm going to game the shit out of my computer, whatever. Gambling, cheating. I'm going to do anything rather than go into that pain, rather than go into all the shit from my past. But that's where the healing is. And so the ultimate question of soul, life, relationship with self is which sucks ass worse living this way disconnected from self and the the sense of unrest unfulfillment anxiety depression that i feel or going into the shit of my past and having to feel all that as i begin to flush it all out which sucks worse and i got news for you 
If you're a God person, insert God here. If you are a universe person, insert universe here. If you are a higher self person, insert higher self here. If you are a luck person, insert luck or soul, whatever your language is, your soul, God, the gods, the universe will have its way with you. You can cling to this lesser existence of not being your authentic self and living in your highest joy, but the gods will fuck you up. Trying to get you to let go of this secure existence that you've known, but you're fucking miserable in. Why? I believe the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is always trying to lead us to higher ground, greater happiness, more abundant life but we so cling to the misery that we've always known because I'm so terrified of doing the work, going into the shit to go to the higher ground. And so it's just like your pain's going to fucking increase. You don't have to do anything. I guarantee you, your pain is going to increase. You think you got pain now, it's going to increase. You want to know how I know? Because this shit doesn't magically fucking heal itself. It doesn't have to take forever, but you got to do the fucking work, people. And I love you. God bless you. I love every last one of you as far as you know. Um... <laughs> teasing. Um, no, but seriously, I love you, but you got to be willing to do the work. That's what this is about. Has your pain gotten bad enough that you're ready to go into the ugly, nasty shit and finally heal it once and for all? Because the pain does end. All right. Next question. And all of that started, Rob, with a uh, talk on overthinking. Well, I don't know. All right. You took that ball and ran with it. I did. And Joanne over here says it's miserable comfort level that spirals deeper. Agreed. Uh, that's actually well said. Comfort level that spirals deeper. Very well said. You got a gold star on the top of your paper, Joanne. Okay, here we go. Now, this is everyone sort of has to sit up straight and listen because we are talking about an infinitely small or infinitesimally small percentage of the population. How do you deal with grief, especially from the death of a child? All right. I have worked over 30 years with many people who have lost a child to, whether a small child, adult child, teen child, to death, suicide, murder, abduction, overdose, disease. About six different reasons. And you're asking one of the hardest questions of life. And I think anyone who has ever had a child would concede that you are in a position, Payette, that none of us would ever want to be in. But there you are. And you're asking the question, how do you heal with grief, especially from the death of a child? If I'm really honest, from a soul perspective, you have no choice but to allow the pain to wash over you, to welcome it, and to experience it as your gift to your child, your gift from your child to feel. When we grieve, we are feel the reason we are grieving, the reason our soul is aching, the reason we are crying is because we are feeling that deceased person with us right now. It's so real, I can fucking feel it. And it rips apart. It shreds our soul. In some cultures, in, in, at funerals, especially in days gone by, they had professional keeners, professional wailers, professional criers coming to give us permission to allow our souls to be rent in two. You have to grieve. How do you deal with grief, especially from the death of a child? 
you allow it. And sometimes you may have to microdose that shit because you still got to go to work on Monday. Maybe you just do it one day a week on Saturday mornings. So that gives you a day and a half to recover from it. Or maybe you do it a half hour each night. But it's allowing those feelings up. And as you know, I am a big believer in journaling, putting words to, or maybe you write poetry, or maybe you write your feelings into music, or maybe you write letters to your deceased child to give it words of what your soul is experiencing. And it's a hellish path to have to walk down. But you do it. How do you do grief? How do you heal with grief, especially the death of a child? You simply do it one foot in front of the other. And some days the foot doesn't even go forward. Some days we simply sit on the bench of the spiritual path and we grieve. Some days we just rest. Part of life is that we all lose. It's been said that real tragedy isn't not getting what you want. It's having something and then losing it. That's real tragedy. And there's nothing we can do except grieve. We can pretend to move on. We can pretend to distract ourselves and avoid the pain. But in the end, the soul always wins. The soul is more powerful than the will. And that pain of life will drag you down. So whether it's the death of a child, the death of a relationship, the death of a dream, maybe you lost all the money that you had built up in your life that you were going to use to support yourself in old age. Maybe it's the death of your own health. Maybe you see your own mortality coming. But loss and death and grief is part of life. And we have no choice but to look it in the face and allow it to overwhelm us in those times and to flush and to flush and to flush. I've had clients who have dealt with the death of a child and run from it and done amazing things while they were trying to do it. Some have built businesses. Some have done wonderful things for their family. Some have slunk into deep depression. But at some point, not all of them, but one of the refrains that I have heard is, I want to live again. I want to get this pain out of me so that I can live again. And I feel guilty even saying that I want to live again because I feel like I'm turning my back on my child. So then you got feelings of grief there or feelings of guilt there. But I want to live again. So it's addressing the guilt feelings and it's addressing the self. I feel selfish that I want to move on. My fear that I might forget my child. So many different feelings. All of that has to come out of you. And you do it one foot in front of the other, allowing the feelings out while simultaneously putting it to words. And if you're not in counseling, I recommend finding a grief counselor or a grief group because there's something profoundly um, warming and inspiring and comforting to be with others who have been where I am particularly death of a child. That's a unique one. All right, next question. Uh, can narcissists be cured? <laughs> uh, listen, I generally refer to narcissists as extreme takers. Can they be cured? Can they be healed? Can they change? Absolutely. But you want to know what it's predicated upon? Do they want it? And the only reason an extreme taker is going to want it is when their pain has gotten bad enough. And usually the only thing that causes their pain to get bad enough is losing. 
losing someone they love. And they may burn through, uh, you know, lovers and jump from one to the next, but there's always going to be someone that they don't want to lose who leaves them. And very often, don't be surprised if it's their own damn children. Some Something in life, some loss will punch them in the face. And either they'll slink then into deeper depravity and taking and trying to numb themselves from the pain, or that pain will punch them in the face so hard that they decide they finally want to change. But a narcissist, an extreme taker, will not change until they want to change. And again, the precursor to change is always pain, significant change especially. Rob? I want to thank that listener because when I can put the word narcissist in the description of the episode, we get more downloads. Uh, you're such a little a, bit of inside baseball there, but you're still such a download horror, Rob. All right. Thanks, bud. <laughs> I'm teasing. All right. Um, third time this question has come up tonight from some of our other episodes we were taping. How do I get my memories back? I've lost so many due to abusive relationships. Uh, the simple answer is start small. Start with what you do remember. Even if it's just, I remember from last week, uh, when I got the notice that my insurance cost on my car is going to increase by $250 and that's going to really tighten my belt and I'm pissed off. All right, start with that. And, I, and you're like, what the hell does that have to do with my past and you know this past that I've forgotten? Because once you begin to get used to processing out, and that's such a cliche word, but processing Getting out these negative feelings you have and the pain or the anger or the sadness or the frustration or the rage or the disappointment, the more you get used to it and, and develop sort of your skills at flushing it out, the better you get at bigger stuff. Not only that, you're also conveying the message to your own soul, send up the next thing, send up the next thing. So even if you just start with the small stuff or start with one mem random memory you have from when you were eight years old and your uncle hurt your feelings, start there. Recount the event, write it down, recount how it felt, recount everything and why did it feel that way and what was really going on and what else do I remember from the event? Flush that out. And I guarantee the more you begin to do that, whether it's something from last week, last year, 10 years ago or 30 years ago, you're creating room. You're flushing out one more thing. You're taking out one negative charged memory from your love cup, creating room, and your soul will send up. It will. The more you do it, the more your soul will begin to realize, I can handle more, that it's safe. I don't have to lock down those memories or turn, have some sort of automatic shutoff in my brain that doesn't allow me to remember them. You'll start to remember more because you're creating room, plus you've created the functionality, the ability to address and deal with this stuff. So you start wherever you're at. Start where you are at today. Any memories you have that are emotionally charged, and I guarantee you, the more you engage in this, the more other memories will begin to come up. And it's just a process. And keep flushing it out. Keep flushing it out. And what's going to happen is you're going to begin slowly but surely to get lighter. You're going to begin to have more spontaneous energy. The more shit that you flush out from within, the memories and the feelings, the more sense of calm you're going to have inside. And just energy, a sense of lightness, relief, all of these are... Uh, indicate experience of getting the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself out of yourself. All right. And this is from TikTok. What advice do you have when you want to cut off from a toxic family member or members? What advice do I have? Um, well, a few things. One, they are going to make you look really bad, David. They're going to want to blame it on you. They're going to tell you you're screwed up in the head. They're going to tell you what's your problem. You've always been a jerk. They're going to tell you you're, you know, everything is wrong with you. Guaranteed. 
you're going to be the problem, David. Um, furthermore, but the bottom line is you wouldn't be considering it unless it was causing you a whole lot of pain. Am I correct? Right. And so you've got to basically decide, do I have the courage to follow through with this, knowing they're going to, in all likelihood, make you the scapegoat, make you look bad, tell stories about you, or potentially, depending on who you're wanting to cut yourself off from, if they are a person of power in the family, they will quite likely use their powers to get others to turn against you because they need to make you look like the bad guy because they don't want to admit that they are the bad guy or that they have culpability. So you need to assume that you are walking into a meat grinder. Okay, you've got to be okay with that or willing to defend yourself in that situation or willing to walk away if they try to do that to you. Okay, uh, but then you say, what advice do you have when you want to cut off from a toxic family member or members? you got to state your truth and hold by your truth and not back down. See, part of the reason you're in this position is because even if you did state your truth in the past, you backed down. They believe they have power over you. And they've likely exerted that power in the past. You've got to be willing to stand up uh, for what you need for you. I run into this a lot when people are considering divorcing. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, divorcing women, let's just say, I men too, but uh, divorcing women in my office and, and I in their work with me, I try to help them realize you have to begin to stand up for your wants and your needs in this relationship. Or maybe they're not divorcing, just having marital problems. And I say, you got to begin to stand up for yourself. And they say, well, fuck, Sven, I have stood up for myself. I said, I believe you, but the problem is you sit back down. See, the more you get the bullshit messages out of yourself that your voice doesn't matter and gee, I'm unworthy and all the crap that's weighing you down from inside, then see what's causing you to back down is they are escalating their power to reestablish that power imbalance. And because you've been taught your shit or your voice doesn't matter, you back down. But the more you get those voices out of you, the less likely you are to back down. And then this person you're in a relationship with, they're like, oh shit, something's different. Because when I keep escalating and keep escalating and keep escalating, they're not backing down. And they sense something is different. So it's not just standing up for yourself, it's standing up and not backing down, right? And it's the same way if you're trying to change a relationship with family, they're going to escalate. And you've got to be willing to, uh, you know, hold your boundaries and not back down because they will try to overpower you. That's sort of how you got in this situation in the first place. They've overpowered you in the past. And so the question is, has my pain gotten bad enough that I'm willing to stand up and not back down? All right. All right. Next question. I think a lot of women confuse masculine men with narcissists. Sure. Maybe. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're not wrong. There's no real question in there, but I've just been ruminating a lot lately. Well, in, you know, in my work, especially, but this notion of masculine men, um, I've always sort of gotten a little giggle out of uh, masculine men. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is I'm in a relationship with a woman who I've been in a relationship with for 10 years. She built an $80 million company and uh, in New York City, in Manhattan, successful woman, worked hard, you know, just grit, sweat, hard work, Bronx Italian, and uh, mad respect for her and so forth. But the thing is, uh, well, let me put it to you this way. At the Starbucks I go to, uh, a guy I know, I know there, I'll just call him Tom, uh, 
when I first started going there 10 years ago, whatever, um, I said, oh, I said, I met this guy, Tom, and he's a former FBI agent. And, you know, Tom's an older dude. And uh, he and I got to know each other, got to know each other. And then one day I came in with my girlfriend. And Tom's like, wait, this is your girlfriend? The next day he was like, that was your girlfriend? I said, yeah. He said, I've been seeing her come in for here for years. And I said, yeah, she's great. I love her to death. And he's like, well, what does she do for a living? I've never really talked to her. And I said, well, she you know, built an $80 million company. At her peak, she had 2,500 employees globally with factories around the, around the globe. He's like, get the fuck out of here. I said, no, it's true. He said, I just assumed she was like some yoga teacher that lived with three cats in a one-bedroom apartment. And I said, what's wrong with that? He said, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with it. But the point is how she comes off is not this New York City heavy hitter who runs this successful company. And one of the things I've grown to realize and really admire about my girlfriend is she doesn't put on, and you know, she's now in her late fifties and she doesn't put on this need to put on the tough armor and I'm tough and I got to protect this soft inner shell. I know so many women or so many masculine men. Oh, I got to put on this tough shell and show how fucking tough I am. When very often it, what it's really masking deep down inside is a pile of goo inside. That if people saw how weak I feel or how much I hate myself or how much I question myself in life, they'd think I'm weak and they'd take advantage of it. So I got to put on this tough outer shell. The people who are the really strongest ones are the ones who can lead with gentle. The ones who can lead with kindness. They don't have to lead with hard ass. If you're leading with hard ass, why? It's usually fear. It's usually fear of you seeing kind, but the what I call my business badass counseling. I'm trying to help people become soul badasses. Well, what does that mean? That means I'm so fucking comfortable in myself that I can be sad when I'm sad. I don't have my life defined by arbitrary definitions of what masculine is or arbitrary definitions of what feminine is, or I don't have to hide my pain. I've healed my fucking pain. I can be soft when I feel soft. I can be gentle when I feel gentle. I can be upset or angry when I'm feeling angry. I can just be whoever the fuck I am. Whereas if you have this arbitrary notion of masculine, no, men are always tough. Oh, so you're such a badass that someone else is defining for you who you should be. Oh yeah, you're a real hard ass. That's not badass. That's just being a fucking tool to whatever some fucking arbitrary definition. Oh, this is universal. All real men are just tough. That's just dumb. Furthermore, over 30 years of counseling men, many military, first responders, extraordinarily successful men uh, in, in the arts, in politics, in finance. You know, I'm in New York City, right? My office has been in there for the better part of the last 10 years. Titans of industry, extraordinarily wealthy people. Well, why the fuck would they be coming to me for counseling? Why would some hard ass who's a tough guy and got his shit together and masculine all the time or somebody extraordinarily successful, why would they be coming to someone for counseling? If they got their shit together and they're so fucking hard ass, why would they need counseling? Ah. Because underneath that hard guy shit is so much fucking pain that they don't know how to deal with or their pain is finally caught up with them. As you've heard me say, the soul is more powerful than the will. That pain, the fears, the misery from the past is dragging them down from the inside. They've got this great shell. They drive the Maserati or they fucking own the, you know, three homes or they have the private jet or, you know, they have all the uh, letters behind their name or their titles, what have you. 
right? Won the competitions. They got this, whatever. But it's bullshit because they're a pile of goo inside. So that macho fucking, oh, that's what, that's a real man who really has his shit together? No, that's somebody compensating for their own feelings of fucking weakness inside. All right, next question. In one sentence, though, Sven, to be a real man, <laughs> you don't have to think of the Roman Empire every day. <laughs> that's, that's this thing going around. Men think about the Roman Empire. That's just, just that's fucking... I don't understand all of that. Real men. Real men. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right. How do you break a trauma bond? You break a trauma bond by going inside of whatever is at the root of your trauma bond. Uh, my feelings of longing towards this person. It's always about feelings, people. Trauma bond, uh, overthinking, uh, fucking, you know, relationship. Why am I staying in she in relationship? It always gets down to uh, feelings of longing, feelings of pain, feelings of fear. You're bonded to this person, not just because of your trauma, but as you guys have heard me say a million times, if you're ever trying to figure out why someone's doing something that doesn't make sense, always ask yourself the question, what's the primary fear driving the behavior? Speculate the answers, you know, list them out, bullet point them out, and go with the biggest, hairiest, scariest one. We stay bonded to someone. We don't let go of someone. We hold on to a job. We, we stay in a shitty relationship. Why? Because there's always some fear that is at the Fucking pity your soul, terrifying the living shit out of you. Yes, I just plugged three swear words into three sentences. Rather proud of myself. Trombone, it's fear. You've got to go inside and identify what's the fear driving your fucking behavior. What is the fear at the root of it? And what is the longing as well? Journal out how you still long for the person. There's nothing wrong with that. But feeling love isn't always a healthy feeling. A lot of times, love can keep us stuck in the past. So we have one foot in the past when we also have one foot in the future. Well, what direction do you want to go, backward or forward? And so you've got to flush out all those feelings of love and longing as well. All right, next question. I'm not sure what to do with this. I'd love to answer it. Lance asked this question. Sven? Question mark after my name. Yes, I'm here. Uh, and then Lance asked, what drives a man to keep being man? Rob, how should I interpret that question? You're the expert here. I'm not really yeah, at all sure. I don't know if I'm the expert. That the question is just a little bit confusing. It's not that it's a bad question, Lance. I just just don't fully understand it. Um, Maybe he means macho man. Tries a man to keep being yeah macho man. Uh, fear, fear of letting down your guard. Fear of uh, people thinking you're weak. You know, and that's a big driver, especially for men, especially in the U.S. You know, um, just fear of people perceiving me as weak and then preying on that putting me down, hurting me, laughing at me, taking advantage of any weaknesses I may show. Um, you know, and I, I just love a quote. I had a female client, a doctor, many years ago, and uh, she had, you know, successful business and so forth that and was helping the world and so forth. And as we worked together, it was just over two, three months and four months, and she really experienced a lot of change. She did the work that I was telling her to do and went inside and did all this shit. And then she had the realization one day, she said, Sven, you know, I'm more vulnerable in my life, but I feel less vulnerable. I fucking love that statement. I've used that so many times. She can be more vulnerable in her interactions with her employees, with her friends, with somebody she might be dating, with her family. But she, even though she's being more vulnerable, opening up more about herself, she feels less vulnerable. Prior to that, she would protect herself 
and be less vulnerable. And even though she was being and revealing less and being less vulnerable, she felt really vulnerable. So now she's being more vulnerable, but she feels less vulnerable. That's someone who's been doing the work of getting all those fucking voices because the monster is inside. It's all those fucking voices and demons and shit, external power sources that got found their way inside of you. That's what you're fighting against. All right, but the more you do the work, the less you fear all that shit. All right, next question. Just gonna take a few more here. I'm seeing my therapist for the first time in four years tomorrow. I'm so anxious, I can't sleep. <laughs> yeah. And the question, Becca Jane, is how badly do you wanna heal? Assuming you trust your therapist and that your therapist has some therapy chops, do you have the courage to really open up, share your shit? I've known plenty of clients working with me or friends, family members who have been seeing a therapist and they either lie to their therapist or they deliberately don't go deep because they're scared of their own shit. So here I am paying someone to help me, but I'm not letting them help me by opening up. Assuming you have a therapist who has some counseling chops, open the fuck up, man. Just get in there and tear it up and really reveal yourself so that the work can get done. All right. All right. Why do I get attached so easily? There can be any number of reasons, Joshua, not the least of which is that there is a longing for love. There is a longing for that attention, that connection, that someone who wants to pour love into my love cup, that I'm so thirsty for love in my love cup, or there's so little in there that when I get even a little bit from someone, someone pouring even a little bit of love into my love cup, it's like, I don't want to let go. And it's like, this is the person I want to be with forever, forever, forever. And so you attach the person very, very quickly. Well, that's being driven by lack inside and also being driven by things you believe about yourself. Perhaps that you're unlovable or that no one's going to love me or uh, that, you know, I don't matter, something along those lines. And so when someone does give you love, you hold on as tightly as you can. So the healing then is, of course, as I've been saying this evening, is to, you know, go inside it and find those voices and begin to uh, pull those out of there because that's what's keeping you get locked in. And then, of course, when you get attached easily, guess what happens? If it doesn't work out, then you've got to grieve a relationship that you've already invested a lot into rather than just taking your time, right? But it's that fear of not getting love, but it's also the desire to feel that love because, gosh, it feels so good, right? All right, next question. Why do men and women lie about their intentions? Once I let my guard down, they change completely. Um... Why do people lie about their intentions? Well, you got two separate things going on there. Why do people lie about their intentions? Because they want to take more for themselves. They want to cheat you to get for themselves. But I like better what you said in that second part. Once I let my guard down, they change completely, to which I want to say, don't let them change. You can still let your guard down on one hand, but you always need to, we always need to, in any relationship in life, be cognizant of, you don't have to be hypervigilant per se, but to be cognizant of when I am with someone. It could be a friendship. It can be a family member. It can be a lover. It can be a child. It can be a parent. It can be a boss. You have to always be tuned into not necessarily the relationship per se, but what's going on inside of me. The Buddhists talk about, and I'm not Buddhist, but I'll fucking steal from anybody. The Buddhists talk about awareness and that everything changes the more we become aware. But it's not just, and it's not even primarily what's aware of what's going on around me, but aware of what's going on inside of me. It's to always be tuned into what my body is saying, what my viscera, what my brain, what my feelings, my vibe, my uh, gut, my intuition are saying. Are you listening? 
See, it's not that you have to let down your guard regarding the other person or not. That's not really the issue. Are you listening to what uh, your own self is saying, your own inner self? So when somebody does something that doesn't feel good, are you acknowledging that it doesn't feel good? And are you saying it to that person, I need you to just please don't speak that way to me, or I need you to apologize when you've hurt my feelings, or you know what, I really want to do this. I want us to do this today. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, you know what? My feelings matter too. In other words, to be tuned into yourself and to have the courage to act on and speak up about that which is going on inside of you. So it's not even uh, letting your guard down regarding the other person. It's are you staying in tune to you and do you have the courage when your own body, when your own soul is talking, do you have the courage to act on it and speak up? Rob, any thoughts on that? Um, no. <laughs> no, I, I don't. <laughs> right. He's got a cool vibe going, no, yeah, man. No. I'm good, man. <laughs> All right. Just, it's grooving to you, dude. Just grooving, dude. All right. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't need to slip into the Charles Manson voice there. No, man. I'm good over here, man. All right. Uh, <laughs> a couple edits there coming later. Oh, come on. You're going to take out Charles Manson voice? All right. Um, yeah, I was having lunch with Charles Manson one day and he said, is it warm in here or am I crazy? <laughs> All right. Um, how do you deal with on the floor, low emotional intelligence? So, I mean, right. As low as you can get, how do you deal with low emotional intelligence, but the person refuses help and claims he works on it daily? In other words, you got somebody who has no fucking emotional intelligence. They don't want to get help, but they make up bull, some bullshit claim that they're working on it daily, and yet you're not seeing the fruits of this supposed work. How do you deal with that? I, I'm going to be sort of a bit of a, uh, I'm going to push you a bit, and I'm going to ask you, the, is it possible you're asking the wrong question? Not how do you deal with it, but why are you still dealing with it? Because you're talking about a pattern. You wouldn't have put it up here on a social media website asking a question unless it was already a pattern. This wasn't just something that happened for the first time this morning at breakfast while you're eating your fucking uh, crunch berries. No, this is a pattern, right? And so I'm asking you, why is it you are choosing to still deal with it? Why is it you are choosing to stay in a relationship with someone who is not interested in what is going on inside of you and who refuses to acknowledge that there is a problem and not only that claims they're already working on themselves when you see, when it's clear to you they aren't and that the relationship isn't changing? Why? What is it you're afraid of that keeps you in a relationship that is clearly quite unfulfilling emotionally? Fear of walking away, you've already uh, invested so much time, fear of what they'll say, um, what is it? Because there's some fear. And I guess, and I know this is going to sound real, you know, sort of a simpleton, but for me personally, I just reached a point in life where I don't want to be in relationships with people who aren't as invested in the relationship as, as I am. To which people say, no, 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 Sven, I believe in unconditional love. That's conditional, what you're saying. They have, you know, you saying they have to invest in you too. That's conditional. Yeah, no shit. Of course it's conditional. Why would I keep investing and investing and investing someone when they are not making deposits as well into the emotional bank account of this relationship? Why would I do that? I have no interest in that. I'm not like fucking Jesus or some shit that I can just, I'm not a fucking martyr. I don't have infinite love. I'm not, and I don't want to be because I found that when you do that, very often people are happy to just take and take and take and take. I'm under no obligation to keep giving, at least in my own value system, I'm under no obligation to keep giving, giving, giving. If all someone is going to do is take, 
I refuse to allow that. I stopped doing that shit back in my fucking 30s. Fuck that. I want to be happy, not fucking miserable. So you got to decide if you want to be happy. And if you want to be happy and finally have some sense of peace in life, potentially you have to walk away from people who just want to take and who want to deny the significance of your needs, your wants, your feelings, your expectations, your dreams, your aspirations, et cetera. All right, one more question. I promise you, just one. Rob wanted to stop me there, but I'm taking one more, Rob. All right. How do I deal with a dad that never wanted me and now wants a relationship? Um, the question isn't how you deal with dad. That's not your first question. The question is, how do you deal with your own mixed feelings on this? Or maybe there are no mixed feelings, in which case, why are you even asking the question? In other words, if there are no, the mixed feelings would be, gee, I, I'm mad at dad for how he treated me, but I want a relationship now. So I kind of have mixed feelings. But if you don't have mixed feelings, that would seem to indicate dad never wanted me back there. I don't fucking want him now. So you have no mixed feelings. So then why are you even asking this question? There's no question. If you don't, if he wants a relationship with you, but he didn't want you then, the real question is, what do you want, Rebecca? Because it seems to imply, you say, how do I deal with, deal with? And we deal with things that we don't want to deal with. We deal with things that are a pain in the ass. How do I deal with a dad that never wanted me, i.e., fuck him, but now he wants a relationship? You don't indicate in that sentence what you want, Rebecca, but I'm willing to bet you don't want a relationship. Unless you do, and in which case you're wanting a relationship because you're still wanting something from him. Potentially you're wanting that love, that approval, that acceptance, or that acknowledgement of all he did, or that apology, you're wanting something from him. And if you're wanting something from him and you want to have a relationship, fucking go for it. But if he wants a relationship and you don't, you are under zero fucking obligation to have a relationship with anybody, let alone someone who didn't want you when you were in your most vulnerable state back then, who never wanted you. Probably you're still feeling the effects of having a father who never wanted you, right? So the real question is, Rebecca, is you've got to dig deep inside yourself. And what do I really want? And do I have the courage to act on what I really want? Rob, any final thoughts today? A couple of good comments that people watching us uh, produce this podcast on YouTube. Somebody said, uh, hey, good to see you. Good on you for doing these. That's yeah, nice. Thank, thank another, you. Another person says, good to finally put a face with the name of Rob the Rocket. Not sure that's helping me or not. Nah, Rob's a stud. Rob's a stud. Uh, yes, he yes. is. He started in radio uh, many years ago, and, and now I'm back. <laughs> and well, that's just it. He had an extraordinarily successful career in TV and uh, film, and was senior vice president of a major uh, motion picture studio. And he started in radio, and now he's back. And we just horse around together, and we have a have a fun time together. But he's the one that does the real work. He he really is. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. Tis true. Tis true. And you too, Casey. I know it didn't mean to hurt your feelings back there. Over there, uh, but Rob does more work than you. So uh, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. All right. Uh, it's been great having everyone here. To those of you tuning in in the UK and Scandinavia, all the way down to New Zealand and Australia, up in Ontario, and to the Quebecois down to South Africa, the Italians, and our South American and Latin American friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. On behalf of Rob the Rocket and KC, have a kick ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Badass Counseling Show.